Oh, goodness. So, Japan's pretty cool, huh? Japan is pretty nice. I've never been, but seems seems like a lot of things in life come from Japan these days. Mm-hmm. Or China. Yeah. Oh, hell, I was, I was watching Shark Tank earlier. Every time an entrepreneur comes in and says that their product is made in American soil, the sharks always clap, and I think it's hilarious. Like. <laughs> we, we found a way to make it domestically. Clap, 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 clap. Whew. A lot, of, a lot of mic adjustments on my end of things right now. You just have to check your mic with, Do you believe in love after love after love? <laughs> That's a share song, right? I, I maybe. It's been in my head for the last three hours. I really don't think it's strong enough. You gotta hit that. You gotta hit that sure voice. Yeah, she literally just like talks it like, "Do you believe in love?" She calls up an entire octave with the believe. Uh, what are you? Uh, is that the song? Because that doesn't uh, sound familiar. That's right. Uh, fourth dimension. We're in space. Let's go. Drop it. No, this is just a beat that I made. Ready to record, by the way. In fact, I think I'll just hit record. Right now. I'm recording for two minutes now. Hey. So I got your whole funky beat, which is not. I was kind of scared that it was a real song, and then we have to cut it out, and I like to keep it. That's dope, though. Do you believe in Link after Zelda, after Zelda, after Zelda? For yes, the Zelda podcast, where we go chapter by chapter through the game. This is our third chapter of A Link to the Past, where we're covering the Tower of Hera. I'm your host, Ryan Skittle McGee Fonzie. I'm Cameron Hagee, a perfectly brewed and steeped cup of green tea. Mm-mm. And I am Tony Giggles, the proud new owner of a pair of Zora flippers. 
Hey, somebody escaped the. <laughs> I got I got out of the. <clears throat> We're on about your to advice. learn about that. <clears throat> we are about to learn about that. Look Man, if I didn't stumble into some stuff, we'd have nothing to talk about this week because this is short. Some short. It is stuff. pretty short. Yeah. yeah. So, because um, uh, I mean, we know that yeah. the last thing we got to do is is at the top of the mountain, so we go to the base of it, looking to get up. Yeah. If you're like me back in the day, you would have gone up the river looking for a way, and you would have found flippers instead. But now that I know, there's a big old rock that we can throw out of the way. And it'll get us right into the base of the mountain. Uh, there's a couple of like tree cutters and stuff in the area, but I love I, those never, dudes. I don't even think I figured out what they do. There's a uh, secret hole in a tree over there, but like they're just cool, man. They're just living their life, you know. Yeah, for right now they're chilling. Aren't they the Bumpkins? Isn't that what their name? Like their last name is Bumpkin. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. They represent the citizens of Hyrule. <laughs> the the woodland citizens they're kind of like the rural the rural yeah. crowd <laughs> it's all good but yeah we we start making our way up this into this mountain cave uh and we don't make it very far i mean you use the power of your lamp to kind of light the little, little triangle in front of your way um and you'll see bats and things like that that goes for a little while i think that through the first room there's not really much and i think the second room we run into an npc is that right or yes. do we come out of the cave first and then go into another cave before no you're right we find the old man in the cave yeah we find the old man in the cave he needs help getting through the cave he um he asked link for assistance and i think by the time we're done helping like you'll go through a few turns and he'll say oh no don't turn that way turn right here or whatever and of course whenever he tells me something like that i gotta go the wrong way just to see what's there mm-hmm Right. And usually it's nothing because it's just a cave of bats. <laughs> there was one point the where he, he stops you right before falling in a hole and he's like, oh, watch your step. Be careful. <laughs> and Yeah. The most you really get for exploring this place is a pot, which might have a heart in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when you finally get him through the cave, he tells you about how one of his, I think it was his granddaughter, right? Got captured by Aghanim. Which would give you the hint that this man is a sage. Just just saying. Mm-hmm. And he says, if you're going to head up the mountain, uh, be careful if you step into like a... I don't even remember what he calls it. It's like a bridge to the other world. Like basically one of the gates that gets you to the Golden Land. He's like, you'll need this um, just in case. And he gives you a magic mirror. Uh, which is really cryptic at this point in the game because you're like, what? What am yeah, I? Yeah, what okay, do I need this for? Great. <laughs> and so we can continue climbing up the mountain. Now, this this was always an annoying. Like this this part of the game is actually a pain point for me climbing the rest of the mountain. Yup. Dude, those uh, rocks are so bad. The rocks are bad, and then the little lizard monsters that turn into rocks are super. Oh annoying. yeah. Yeah, those are too. You get far enough in. There's tectites. How many? How many? Like. Big hazards can you throw? How I feel about it is the original Legend of Zelda had both falling rocks, tectites, and crazy crawly guys that moved really fast, but they were in separate sections. And the rocks just kind of fell diagonally, like they didn't do what they do here. And then the developers were like, how can we turn our falling rock like AI program into something worse. Oh, I know. Let's make it home in on the players. Yeah, that sounds like a real great idea, huh? 
Yeah, and even when it's clearly at, like, the peak of its bounce and it should not, like, hit you when you're on the ground and it's, like, way in the air, as long as its model just overlaps your character at any point, you get hit. Yeah. Yeah. That the, annoys the me. The predictive aiming, I think, is my least favorite part. But, I yes, absolutely. The game is... Just does not care. It's nice enough, though, that it doesn't really spawn them when you're climbing up ladders. Like, if you start climbing a set of stairs that's really long, it'll generally stop spawning them right above you after you're on it for a minute, like a second or two. Yeah. Yeah, there's some there's some little grace periods built in for sure. Yeah, but it is annoying. I've, I died here a few times just running around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a few more cave entrances that you can kind of explore. Uh, there, you know, I, I know somewhere at the base if there was a way to get a heart piece, but we missed that. I don't. I wouldn't even know how to tell you how to find it again. I know you have to fall somewhere. That's about it. Yeah, there's uh, a cave that will lead you back to Kakariko, or at least that's what it says. It doesn't take you right to Kakariko. It takes you like to the northern east edge, like tip of it, maybe. Uh, and it takes then, you to like the logging brothers, I think. Yeah, which isn't even what I don't even consider them part of Kakariko, but I guess they could be. Uh, and then there is a way up to the top of the mountain. And that way, uh, there's actually a few other places you can jump off to. One of them will lead you to like a, a magical item that we can't really get to yet because you need a hammer and a way to survive a lot of pain to get <laughs> to it. Um, but it's there. You can get in the cave and you can see it and you'll be like, oh, don't know what this is. Come back to it later. Like, I know what it is now, but it's really for a later chapter that we should talk about it. So at the very top of this mountain, though, go a little bit to the right and you can find a crazy looking square. Say that again. With diamonds that alternate in it. It looks, it looks very, um. Looks like one of those Pokemon, like warp tiles from the Team Rocket. Headquarters. Yeah, from the t- from Giovanni's base. Yeah, it's a totally normal part of the ground. It is a totally unassuming part of the ground of the mountain. What are you talking about? It's surrounded by three rocks. It, it has like a, a lot of suspicious uh, landscaping around it. Can you imagine like a traveler walking through Death Mountain and he like walks past it, sees the tile, steps on it, is like, "Is this thing is like glowing? Is moving?" He like goes down to Kakariko Village, starts explaining to everyone like. Guys, I saw this really weird blue square there. And they're like, what are you talking about? Guys, it was moving. They're like, that doesn't exist here. And then he just got driven mad from this blue square. And then it became the old man. I mean, what? No, I'm just kidding. What? <laughs> and I was like, I made a joke. Then it became the old man, the old sage. Well, okay. <laughs> the squares. The squares. They're everywhere. They're real. They're coming. Crazy old Maurice. Oh, man. Only tinfoil hats protects from them. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're any part of a Zelda, you know, adventurer like we are, you just got an item. And usually when you get items and you can come up to new spots that you've never seen before and you don't know what to do, generally assume you use that item for that place. And so we take the magic the magical <laughs> mirror of doom out and makes probably one of the most iconic noises that we are going to hear a lot in the rest of the coming game. And all of a sudden you just hear and we get transported to 
<clears throat> I was waiting for one of you guys to come in real hard. Uh, <laughs> well, the thing is, you don't you don't need the mirror to do this. So I was sitting here confused. Well, you just got to step on the square. Oh, I thought you needed the mirror to go over. The mirror brings you back. I think I think uh, you had a couple of misconceptions about this mirror, and I think we'll get I into have. that in just a little bit. The mirror confuses but, me. Its technology you, is unlike what I've seen. If I will say, I'll go back to what you were saying before. If you're in a Zelda adventurer like us, and you see a square on the ground, uh, you know you should probably step on it, or at least go to inspect it, check it out, see what it does. And you can step on it; you walk right over it. But when you step on it, you do get that iconic noise. That <laughs> yeah, and then you end up in the Golden Land. Where the sky shines yellow instead of blue. And everybody's evil. And everybody, everybody's evil. Everybody shows their true form in the Golden Land. And you learn this immediately because there is a a bully. And I'm pretty sure that's what they're named in the game. Just the bully. And the bully's friend who has been transformed into like a kickball, it looks like. A pink slime ball. Yeah, I don't remember what the bully looks like. He's like a little monster man. Mm-hmm. And, he's, and he's kicking around the the pink slime ball in a circle, and if you talk to them, they'll they'll explain like, oh yeah, this land turns you into whatever, like what you actually look like or something like that. It's like it's weird. Like everybody gets transformed when they come over here, including you. We didn't say this, but not only are the first NPCs you meet people who have been transformed, but Link himself has been transformed into a pink rabbit bunny wearing a tunic, <laughs> but. Still a pink rabbit. You can't use any of your your regular items. You can't use your sword. You have no shield. You're just, you're pretty harmless. You take your clothes with you. It's pretty great. You're the helpless rabbit. So what does that say about Link that he turns into a rabbit? Uh, I'm glad you asked because that's going to bring me to my next part of the story. Uh, so, so like I said, like I, I ran into some, some stuff over the past few months uh, started with it's a woman on uh, Twitter. Uh, she does a lot of cataloging of old Nintendo artwork, uh, doing a lot of like scans and things like that. She's actually an archivist. At least that's, you know, I think that's how she describes it. And her name is Melora. She's been on another, she's been on the Sacred Realms podcast, like another podcast that I listen to. And she kind of pointed out that this whole scene, like from the time we meet the old man up into the point where we become Rabbit Link, I mean, even a little bit further, and I'll I'll get into that. There's there's a there's a big like reference going on to Japanese and Chinese culture, and what that is is the it's like the story of the of the Jade Rabbit. Uh, depending on what country you're you're referencing, the story changes a little bit. But basically, how the story goes, if like it, like if you're looking at the the Buddhist version, right? Like I actually went and just tried to find this story somewhere that had it simply put. I found you guys know what Shen Yun is, like the performing dancers that yeah, like travel around the world. Yeah, I guess there's like some stuff to them that I'm I, yeah, I'm not gonna say that I agree with everything because I guess they're actually a pretty religious organization. I didn't know that, and they they have some some opinions. <laughs> And I'm not going to fault them for that. I'm just going to say, like, they had this story, like, kind of written out on their website. And I was able to find it and just kind of go through it. Um, but the way the story goes, 
from a more Buddhist perspective is that the Jade Emperor, um, Jade Emperor being a servant to one of the three pure ones who it's like a whole concept. Like when I saw that, when I read into who the Jade Emperor was, he's like, he's, he's like the emperor of one of the heavens. And they say he's an assistant to one of these three pure ones who are like these three divine beings that are above everything and take on certain characteristics and tend to be portrayed in the primary colors like red, green, and blue or red, yellow, and blue. So that was, that was eye opening first off. So let's just say that. Mm -hmm. But uh, in the story, the Jade Emperor disguises himself as this poor starving old man. And he asks for food specifically from a monkey, an otter, a jackal, and a rabbit. Um, some stories kind of switch up some of the animals. Um, like you might get like a fox in there or a wolf in there. Like it's not always monkey, otter, jackal. But that's as it's written here, I'll just stick with these for, for simplicity's sake. So the monkey gathers fruit from the trees to offer to the old man because it's like, okay, like that's what the monkey knows how to get, right? The otter gathered fish from the river. Makes sense. Like people eat fish. The otter knows how to get a fish. And the jackal stole uh, basically food from someone else. Stole a lizard and a pot of milk curds is what it says here. It says the rabbit could only gather grass. And the rabbit's like, well, people don't eat grass. So this isn't going to work. So instead, the rabbit offers itself and it says, you can eat me, basically. And so because of its act of selflessness, the old man reveals that he's the Jade Emperor and sends the rabbit to the moon to become the immortal Jade Rabbit. And so this immortal Jade Rabbit is like, if you ever, you remember like the, this is going to be like the worst way to bring this up, but you remember how... There was that one season of Call of Duty that had the oh New Moon Festival <laughs> stuff going on. Yes. And it yeah. was like all bunnies with like moon cakes and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's 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 the Jade Rabbit. Like that's linked to the same story. Um, basically, there's a there's this image of, you know, how we have like the man on the moon. Like you look at the craters and you can kind of see what looks like either a face or a person. Um I guess if you go more, more east, uh, you find that people interpret that as a rabbit kind of stirring a pot. And so this is like the story of that. Mm. Like he spends time up there with the moon goddess in the moon palace and makes elixirs and, and pies or like cakes (gasps) and mochi, I think mochi. I don't know how you pronounce that. Wonderful. It's mochi. Sounds like a great anime. (laughs) Uh, well, I'm glad you said that oh, because no. <laughs> there is if you've um if you've ever watched Sailor Moon, mm-hmm. uh, let me look. I this have up. seen There's, the Moon Palace. You have seen the Moon Palace. Yeah, it's Sailor that, Moon. It's that in there. Okay, that makes sense because the actual name Sailor Moon uh, is she's named after the Moon Rabbit. Like her name, like is a is a pun on Moon Rabbit. Oh yeah, her name I, is Usagi, and that's rabbit in Japanese. Yeah. So yeah, like ba- basically they just like swapped a couple of the words around. She's Usagi Tsukino, and like Tsuki no Usagi is is that means Moon Rabbit. So like that's I might be pr- butchering those pronunciations, but that's kind of the connection there. But funny thing in this the the whole like Shen Yun story that I was looking at. They do a dance that they call um, 
they 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 tell this this little like fable about the monkey king going to the moon palace chasing down like this evil toad character and they get into a big fight and you know they make a dance out of it right like to kind of share this story because he goes there and he meets the jade rabbit and he fights this frog who disguised himself as the jade rabbit and there's a whole thing but the funny part about that is that there's actually this really cool piece of artwork that's out there um, that that's, I think they're like drawing inspiration from, if not from the actual story of the monkey. I wasn't able to find anything where this story is told other, other, like anywhere else. So I wasn't able to like say, okay, this is a traditional thing or not, or if this is just something that they kind of put forward. But there's this piece of art called, uh, you can just look it up. It says Jade Rabbit Sun Wukong. Um, it's like drawn up by, it was made or painted. I don't know what the medium actually is. But it was created by Yoshitoshi back in 1889, and it's held in the Ronin Gallery now. And it's this really cool image of this like ape warrior with a golden inlaid staff and just a white rabbit, and they're yeah. in front of the moon in like action poses. But if you know Sun Wukong, uh, the Japanese way to say that Chinese name is Sun Goku. So. If you're looking for anime references, we got them by the buckets. Uh, but <laughs> the reality is, is that this this uh, whole story about like Link doing something selfless to help this old man. The old man gives him this mirror. He ends up in this other world, and later we end up finding an item called the Moon Pearl. Uh, directly after all of this happens, it just kind of like Melora, or if you look up on. Uh, on Twitter, you can find her at history of Hyrule. She, she like had a whole thread about this and how she just was kind of finding these references. And that's what caused like led me to kind of dig into this stuff. I originally asked her if she could guest on this podcast so that she could kind of go through some of it with us. Um, but unfortunately with some, some life events and things like that, she wasn't able to commit uh, at this time. So hopefully we'll be able to have her on at some other point, but yeah, that'd be great. We'll, yeah, that'd we'll, be cool. we'll see. Yeah. It, it would be really cool. I really, really. So cool. yeah, no, I was just going to say, I'd love to have her on the, on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ultimately though, the reason that link turns into a rabbit is because he is the selfless person that's sacrificing himself for the betterment of the world. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's why he's exactly. represented as the rabbit. Yeah. In this case, that would be the thing. Like he's, he's that, yeah. He's he's got that heroic selflessness in this case. Like he's the that's like a reference to that character in the story. Bum, ba, da, um, now, if you are more Western like we are, a, a reference that might hit home to you more than even like because this stuff is is like it, to me it feels spot on. Like this is exactly like the the thoughts behind this, um, but. Here, if the if you're going to another world and you become a rabbit, and if you are able to come back from that, oh, world Alice through a magic mirror, yeah, Alice, it's all mm -hmm. Alice. So like, uh, Alice in Wonderland, she ends up chasing the white rabbit down a hole and ends up in Wonderland, right? And that yep. rabbit's mm -hmm. all about time and being late and whatever. That's why it was referenced in Ocarina of Time. You know, like that. It's a whole story about. A, a kid in an adult world or whatever, but it's, it's kind of brought on by that theme of time. Um, and then in the sequel to that, uh, Alice, like through the looking glass, I believe was the title of the book, just through the looking glass. 
uh, it's the same character, Alice returns, or I, I don't know if she actually even returns to the same world, but she goes through a looking glass, which is actually just a mirror. I always thought it was like a telescope or a kaleidoscope just based off the word through the looking glass, but I'm totally yeah, off, me too. I guess. She, it's, it's not that, I guess she ends up climbing through a mirror and ends up in a world where all of the rules are reversed. So basically she goes into a world that's backwards. Uh, so in our game, you end up in a world where what people have on the inside is what is shown on the outside. Uh, you have a world where like the, the nicest, most hospitable places in the, in the regular world are now like some of the most run down and like destroyed places. Um, so it just kind of, to me, like there was some serious meshing going on, uh, which I think is kind of common <laughs> in these games at this point. Uh, what I'm learning about this, Zelda games are just, are just crazy. Yeah. These writers, developers, and music makers in Zelda from these three seasons that I've learned is uh, they've drawn so much inspiration in every single little detail and piece of information they put into these games from so many outside sources i mean developing these games has to be a nightmare in terms of like keeping track of like story elements and what's what and all of that yeah and if i told you that it didn't stop there what would you guys think oh i believe it you crazy man so while i was digging into deeper <laughs> into some of this stuff i don't even know how i stumbled across this one i think i just remembered the story from when i was researching We're going even further beyond exactly so you remember when we were doing skyward sword and we came across oh my goodness the ancient oh, the system. sunken place yeah 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 that one uh and i started looking up all the different buddhist references like all that i could um and i remember that i told you guys briefly that there was like this whole concept of of Zelda being, uh, you know, uh, related to Amaterasu, but only because she was a deity that became part of the royal family. I don't even think that was that episode, but we we did talk about that. Um, and I said like, well, that's really not that much of a similarity because that could she could that's like the, the same amount of level that she has with like the pharaohs of Egypt. Like it's just it's not a very strong comparison. About how there's like, you know, members of the royal family are supposed to be descended from Amaterasu. I think that's what I, I shared. But I remembered another story that I had read about Amaterasu that also reminded me of mirrors and transforming worlds and things like that. So there's this whole story about, I, yeah, listen, I'm going to omit a lot. I'm not, I'm not an expert in this and I'm not, I don't have it all memorized. But basically, I'm going to give you the spark notes. So Amaterasu is working on like a loom or a spinning wheel and one of these other deities comes in acting a fool poops on her floor throws some like flayed horse into the room uh does a bunch of crazy stuff and she's just so offended and upset about it that she runs off and hides in a cave while she's but hiding in the cave as the sun goddess the whole world goes dark like everything is like just bad and cold and dark because the sun's in a cave like that is what would happen right so <laughs> you know the world didn't explode but anyway um <laughs> so in order to get her back and to try to help her like recover from this whole situation some of the other 
deities, if you will, set up a, a like a trap for her in a way. It's like a it's like not really so much a trap as it is a plan to try to help. So they put up a mirror outside the cave because Amaterasu is supposed to be like the most gorgeous thing in the world, right? And they start having a party outside the cave. And so Amaterasu is like, wait a minute, why would they be partying? Like, what is there to party about? Like, the world is terrible right now. Like, this doesn't make any sense. I need to come out and see what's going on. So she comes out and she sees herself in the mirror and is so captivated by her own beauty that she can go <laughs> back out. Wow. And like, it's just another reference of like using a mirror in order to come back to the light world, right? Like, so I don't know. It just, to me, that that also stuck out as another, like, why did why did the old man give us a mirror? So that we could make our way back to the light. Like, that's, it just... That's some hilarious level of narcissism, though, on that sun goddess's part. I mean... Yeah. And I can't get over the fact that, like, having trouble with someone pooping on your floor and just causing you grief, well, I have the perfect solution. Go into a cave. Run to a cave. (laughs) (laughs) I can see where you get the the parallel, though. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I might be telling that story kind of messed up, but that's what it seems like. She was drawn out by her own image in the mirror so you know Hmm. you know i might be a little bit embellishing but that's just okay so yeah so this is um this is our big cultural mesh of a story it's it makes for a really cool time like i think when you find stuff like that it always enriches it for me playing these games so uh i enjoy it I, i mean we have japanese and buddhist like chinese references here uh between between the stories and the religions and the anime and the everything um even got a little bit of a uh, literature as well so i don't know a lot a lot of stuff a lot of ways to try to relate to different audiences that that these games would undoubtedly have down the road so um really smart move on on nintendo's part yeah it kind of keeps the longevity of the game going with these parallels Always deeper to dig, more to find. <laughs> so, when we continue up the mountain, like we we find our way into this golden land, right? And we can head over to what I believe is considered Spectacle Rock in this game. I could be wrong about that. I don't remember if it's actually noted as that in this game, but that's the shape of it. Any other I think game it is where you see a Spectacle Rock. It looks exactly like this formation. And if we go on top of that. Because whenever you use your mirror, it transports you back to the real world. Um, if you go on top of this rock and transport, you actually like it. It's weird because in the in the dark world, it's not risen. Like it's a it's like somewhere that you couldn't access before because it was like a raised set of of like cliffs in a sense. So in the dark world, it's all flat. So you can just walk over to where the top would be, use your mirror, and you end up on top of the insurmountable wall that you had before. And doing that, you can, you can jump get, off the back of it. You can jump off the back of it and get right to the Tower of Hera. And there's also a heart piece up there, so it's supposed to like entice you to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's a piece of candy to get you there. Yeah, and you can get back to the light world so easily. Like I can't see how anyone would ever have problems. Yeah, with. it's super easy with that item you just got. Yeah. It's kind of cool that the old man kind of tells you like, hey, if you ever run into a teleporter, just use this mirror and you'll be back. Because, um, yeah, really and then almost advice. immediately after we walk into the dungeon and one of the first stones tells us that if we use it in a dungeon, it just returns us to the entrance. So we know it has multiple functionalities. 
Yeah. What what do you think, Anthony? Sorry, I was getting a little <laughs> caught up here and distracted with reading something that I have brought to the table here. Okay. Getting some getting some notes lined up. <laughs> I got a little sidetracked, so I wasn't actually paying attention to the last three sentences. Oh. All right. <laughs> you're you're going to love it when you listen back to this episode. Whoopsie. <laughs> you said something and then I was like, "Oh, oh right." And then I went to go check what I was looking at and then yeah. So do you have something for right now? Like are you No, no, no. It just reminded me of something I was going to talk about later. Oh, later. Okay. Okay. So we're so we're going on to into the Tower of Hera then. We are in the Tower of Hera. Here we are. Ready to ready to tower and Hera and smash some things, especially worms, especially blue and orange tiles. Those two, and sometimes the tiles are going to try to smash us back. They will, but not those tiles. Yeah, not those tiles. No, this place is uh, the introduction of red and blue switches, right? I don't think we had them in the other two dungeons. No. Yep. So uh, all around this dungeon, like the the main mechanics. For the dungeon itself, uh, there's two different forms of switches. Uh, we, ha- of course, we have the old switches too, like little buttons hidden under pots and stuff like that. But that's not that's not really the main point of this one. Uh, the first thing we come across, it's like a glass orb, is what it looks like to me, because it has a reflection on it uh, that is either lit up blue or lit up red, and it's sitting in like this little pedestal thing um, to clot up around the orb a little bit, and you can hit it with just about anything that does damage uh, whether that's your boomerang an arrow a bomb um, sometimes your sword. sometimes there's a reason to hit it with something specific and sometimes it's just gamer's choice do what you want uh, and so to get from room to room a lot of times what you need to do is make sure that the right parts are down right parts are up at the right time I don't think this has ever been I think this is the first time this was used in a, in a Zelda game as well because I don't think it was in the original was Legend of Zelda. Definitely not in the OG Zelda. Yeah. Yeah. Neither of those games. Brand new mechanic. Had, yeah. Neither of those games either even had the graphical fidelity to handle that and make it make no. sense. So. The whole beginning of the dungeon's fine. It's super easy. Barely an inconvenience. You, you just waltz mm-hmm. on through. Yeah. Yeah. And you get past yeah. uh, some Kadangos, which. Yeah. Kadangos. <laughs> not Dadangos. Sorry. You know. Kodangos. That's their name in this game. I don't know why. They literally are the sprite of a Dodongo. And in the original game, they were called Dodongos. And then they were like, no, 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 no. Kodangos sound better. And then in Ocarina of Time, they're like, wait, 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 wait. Let's go back to Dodongos, by the way. <laughs> Kodangos was a mistake, guys. Roll it back. <laughs> Who put it's like it someone, here? someone made a spelling <laughs> error or something. And then they were like, looked at post production. They're like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I've been reading a lot of comic books, and it turns out Kaboom is a lot more common than <laughs> Da Doom. So, I was thinking, Check this out. Kadangos and meet you halfway there. Kachow! Like, oh, so, they explode, right? Well, they, they will in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. There, is a, there are some other mechanics that we run into going up and down stairs. We'll run into uh, holes that can switch if you step on a certain switch. And the switch looks a lot like the sun sprites from like Mario Kart. Yeah. Uh, and 
there are tiles that just come up out of the floor and fly at link and you got to find your way through the room either either before you have to deal with them all or you have to run around for literally two minutes straight while all of these tiles slowly one by one come flying at you yup one of them had to do that it's one of the worst one of the worst kinds of rooms to step into in this game if i'm being honest it's kind of it's kind of like the rocks falling on uh you know death mountain over there like it just it's one of those things where it's not super hard to dodge one of them but to just be persistent in the tedium that is running around the room to not get hit by I just all of the tiles stood there and sliced them you can't just sit there and slice them all. That's what I started doing <laughs> like halfway through this dungeon. I was like, no, I'm not running around for you guys anymore. I'm playing baseball. <laughs> like, But your shield does nothing. Like you can't, not like Ocarina where you can just crouch with your shield up and just wait for them all to be done. Like this one, your shield will just, even the red shield, they just fly right through it. And they're like, yeah, you got hit. Yeah, they don't care. I kind of wanted to prove that Link could play dodgeball. So I figured if he could dodge tiles, he could dodge a ball. <laughs> right. So I was just test dodging these bad boys. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, uh, once we're done with the part with the switching from red to blue, and we're well into the part where we're walking on top of Mario Sun sprites and changing the layout of the holes on the ground so we can drop to the parts we need to on the lower levels to continue on, we eventually find our way to El Bigo Chesto. Mm-hmm. We get the big. We get the big key. And the big chest, at least at first, like when you first see it, you really can't get to it because you need to get. You get the big key mad early in this dungeon. You do. It's like, it's like the like second se- or third room. I was going to say, it's mm-hmm. like the second chest I think I opened. It was like, here's the big key. And I was like, really? That's weird. Yeah. So, you know, as soon as you find the item, you, you get it. But it's when this in this one, when you find it, it's like behind a couple spots that you can't walk on because it's a hole. Right, And here's where in the you have to know about the layout of that room. When you go up to the next one and drop down a hole, you figure out kind of where you have to drop down to get to the right spot. And then you have to walk on one of those sun sprites up on that floor, change the layout of the, the holes to drop in the right one, which puts you right in front of the chest. Right. And we open that chest and you get the moon pearl. And let me add, too, it's even more specific because that hole is consistent of four different squares that you could land on. And if you land on either of the two bottom ones, you will immediately land on one of those switches that will put a hole right on top of you and you'll fall again. So you have to specifically (laughs) go to the top two of the four squares that are there or else it will not work. Wow. That I did. I made that mistake, and I just walked into the bottom of it because that's where your guy naturally comes from. When you walk into the room, you'll be coming from the bottom of it, and then that happened. I was like, "Oh, I forgot you." <laughs> so the thing about this place is that at some point going through, you'll find one of those telepath tiles to talk to Sahasrala, and he'll Sahasrala. tell you inside this dungeon is a thing called the Moon Pearl. You must get it. Um, I think he even might explain that it'll help you, like not transform when you go to the dark world but he might not tell you you might not learn that until you actually get the item um but the thing is like you don't need it to fight the boss like you do not need this moon pearl to get up to the top floor and to make it to the boss room defeat it and get your heart piece and your pendant and leave and go with the master sword at no point does it say you have to have this thing uh but if you don't anything after this part's going to be a pain so so you like I, I honestly went I fought the boss before I figured out how to get it this time around. 
Hmm. And I like I finished the dungeon, then had to go back in and kind of spelunk my way over to the Moon Pearl. So that was this boss. That was fun. This bro, this boss drinks reused hot dog water. <laughs> I like you. You used okay. it to make hot dogs. Then you kept the water in there, put a whole new batch of hot dogs in that water, used it again, and this guy's sitting over here sipping on it like a delicacy. I hate this boss. Every Whoa. time I get this boss down to the amount that it takes for him to start going super speed, he hits me and knocks me off, and I got to start the whole thing over. I think it happened three times this time. Ooh, really? Nah, I I got hit with three times. You're you're pretty good at the game. I'm a. <laughs> It took me a while to beat this this hand monster. Yeah, the first couple times it took me hours. Did you guys cheese him around the hole? No. Well, I mean, I have a strategy where basically if you know where his head was, then his tail will eventually be there in a second or two. So if you just let his head go by you really, really close to your character and then just wait a second, you can just hit his tail. It'll be mm-hmm. there right then. But it's yeah. hard to do that when he's going fast because you kind of got to get lucky or else he'll just hit you. So when I first started fighting the burger pillar, I did try to cheese it around the hole. And the thing is, is that it wasn't super effective because eventually he would turn and get a good angle on me and I would knock me through the hole anyway. What I found, at least for the first, what, four or five hits before he starts getting angry, what he'll do is he bounces around randomly And then maybe like once every three or four seconds, he will turn towards Link and make a beeline at Link, no matter like what he bounced off of. He'll find he'll find a way to make an excuse that, okay, now I bounce at the right angle to come directly at you. But if you move away from him enough, he won't make it all the way across the big part of the arena before he turns and goes the other way. So if you just like take a few steps away from him when he comes at you and then once he turns, you go back in and you can hit his tail that way. Uh, and that works for the first four or five hits and then he'll change colors and get really angry. And, um, and then you just got to like hit him once more, but that time I'm pretty sure he will go all the way across the map. So you got to be a lot smarter about your own movements at that point. Yeah. He Um, gets really aggressive at the end. Yeah. But you only have to hit him one more time. So it's, you know, it's kind of a trade off. Yeah. You definitely don't want none of what you're selling at that point, but we're going to give it to him anyways. So... Do you guys want to be very mad at a very easy way to beat him? I'd love to know it for future playthroughs because this guy annoys me. If you are good at dash running, you can dash run right through him and hit his tail and you go straight through. And if you can stop yourself before you go off the edge and kind of run, I, I use the hole as my leverage. So I like to play close to the hole that's in the middle of the map. And you can dash run right through him because I noticed a lot of the enemies in Hyrule Field, you can dash run right through them. As long as they're not one of those uh, hard hat enemies or enemies that bounce you or anything like that. Like he does, but I don't know why. For some reason, you can dash through him. So if you you can dash through his whole body, like everything. Yeah. So if you play close to the hole, I didn't know that. You can wow. dash and hit his tail along the way and hope that he doesn't do what you were talking about, Fonz, where he does kind of like the, the excuse to turn around and come at you. So you can kind of dance around the hole, making sure you have a good Pegasus run and you can just nail him that way. And it's a pretty easy fight if you're good at stopping yourself from dashing. It sounds like it would take some practice and that it's kind of annoying. 
I Pegasus run like everywhere around the map, so I've gotten pretty used to it so far. I wonder if they fix that in my version. I'm kind of interested. I think I have another backup file I was going to run to re-familiarize myself with the part we're going to talk about, but I didn't end up actually doing it. So maybe if I continue on with that file, I'll see if I can do that in Mm -hmm. the, uh, the remake. Nice. Because that definitely feels like it was probably an oversight. <laughs> I feel like you shouldn't be able to dash through an entire boss of the game like they're not there. The only enemy I haven't been able to dash through yet is one enemy we haven't gotten to yet. I'm willing to bet that when you dash through other enemies, though, you like hit them out of the way and deal damage. Yeah. This guy, if you're just running through his entire body, that's just weird. Link is a truck, all right? That's yeah, one thing. Like, straight. I'm used to running through people. You run through them, but you, like, hit them and deal damage, and they, like, get knocked back. Mm-hmm. You, like, you see something. To, I can't see you just running through the boss's whole body and not getting any hitbox. That just feels really weird. Link did 900 push ups a day. Running through a line of cheeseburgers like my name is Jughead. <laughs> that is a dated reference. <laughs> I don't know if people would get that, but okay. <laughs> anyway. Oh, that's like right. that's that's how boot it. Was there anything else we were supposed to do after this? Well, you get the pendant of wisdom. We get yeah, we get well, our yeah. pendant of wisdom. It's nice and red because it is <laughs> wisdom is red. And get our RP, and we're told to go off to get the master sword. Yeah, and we're we're gonna save that for next episode. So uh, next time we're recording, I'm hoping to have a special guest on board. This is Joshua Lindquist. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but Linguist. he is one of the uh, people who runs ZeldaUniverse.net. He's like in charge of the writing and stuff like that. Uh, I've, I've, you know, I've been following him. I've, you know, he was on the uh, Zelda Beyond podcast back when that was running. I uh, don't know if it still is or not. It only had like three episodes, and he was on one of them. Um, but he's been a, a Zelda creator, uh, creative, if you will, for. About 20 years now, uh, he's been running Zelda Universe for at least 10 at this point. So I'm, I'm really excited to have him on. Uh, a Link to the Past, if I understand, is his favorite game. Uh, and this is probably one of the most iconic chapters we'll be covering in this next uh, chapter. So I'm hoping to have him on. Hopefully we can talk about the significance of this game and uh, what it's meant to him, what it means to us, like what kind of how different people have approached it and uh, maybe he'll have some cool insights to share with us about this chapter. So that'll be fun. Basically, yeah. next time we'll be covering the actually getting the Master Sword and then making our way to the Hyrule Castle in order to make an attempt at defeating Aghanim and saving Zelda. I'm excited to hear his No, we're going to do it. <laughs> this will be the one time we're going to do it. We got the sword. <laughs> we got the sword. I'm, I'm strong of body and pure of heart. I mean, what, what more could go wrong? We got like eight hearts. <laughs> we we got the will of the kid that's sick in the forest, and we got his bug net. <laughs> we can deflect probably maybe projectiles that will be shot at us by wizards. Right? It just feels like we're going to win. Right, yeah, it's on our side, man. Yeah. No doubt. Cool, cool. I'll be devastated if we don't. So I, oh, yeah, no. but that otherwise that is everything we were going to share for this episode. I don't know. Do you guys have anything else that you've researched or found? I think Anthony, you're kind of dropping hints that you might have had some yeah cool stuff to share. So I don't know if you guys knew this because I didn't, and it was news to me. 
and it would explain uh i think a hiccup we had last episode that kind of went through the user manual that we had talked about a little bit and kind of dives deeper into i think why the user manual had all of that stuff in it so i found out that there was a zelda a link to the past comic book that was coming out in tandem with this game i think it Mm -hmm. dropped at the time of release for the japanese version and was coming out i think every month subsequently after that um until a few months after the release of the western versions uk and us and finished up the story it's a little bit of a different story and reading through it it was really interesting to kind of hear the take that this comic book had on it and i actually really enjoyed the story i read the whole thing i don't want to did take way too long but i thought going over the first chapter if you guys wanted to take a turn it, it the first chapter is like because it's a comic book it's taken um i sent you guys two links the first link is the text version of it on the wiki and then the second version is actually the comic comic book and so since it's taken as like comic book literature it, it's you know a few words here and there so there's not much depth to it but they were able to explain the entirety of the story of a link to the past in like 13 chapters i think i had no idea right it was a whole comic book in tandem with this with this game coming out back wow. in the day and they had a reissue listed i think in 2015 that came out as well uh they reissued it huh. but let's see here all right so yeah the chapters are very small i mean if you guys want we can probably read up to chapter three we could each take a turn because chapter three covers up to essentially where we are now oh no chapter four covers where we are now or we can just do the first chapter and see how it differs but like i read through the uh, whole thing and it was very interesting like the it, it when it when it gets to the <clears throat> it varies it cuts a lot out that was in the game but okay yeah, it's just it was just really interesting. I actually like the story. I I don't know what happens later on, but so far I actually like the story better. <laughs> so when you say read through the chapter, you mean read through the chapter summaries as found yeah, on yeah, Zelda yeah. Wiki? Yeah, okay. the chapter summaries. Okay. I mean, I'm down to read through that. I mean, we're we're still we're not even at an hour yet, so Yeah, I thought this would be good because I know I was like thinking of the dungeon and I was like, remember this dungeon was not, there was no meat to it. There was no depth. So I figured this would be good to fill in the time. And it's really interesting. Yeah, Like right from the first sentence. It looks exactly like the, like the user manual. Right. Like it, like right where we left off is kind of where it looks like it picks up. And I know we were talking about the actual, like literal first sentence of this summary. It says link is awoken as he is contacted telepathically by princess Zelda. Asks which him, is yeah what happened in the the user manual which yeah. didn't happen in the game yeah so it's really interesting they came out with two separate stories of the same thing at the same time it'd be like today they release breath of the wild 2 but they also release like a tv show on breath of the wild 2 or a comic book and then the story differs in what happens you know it's just really interesting I don't know if it was a miscommunication as much as it was intended, 
Mm. Okay, well, so we'll each take one of the three chapters. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Who wants to go for it? You want to go first, Anthony, since you found this, or do you want me to go first since I'm... I'll like, take three. Looking at it three. already. I'll, I'll, take, I'll take one. Okay. All right. So Link is awoken as he is contacted telepathically by Princess Zelda, who asks him to save her from Hyrule Castle's prison. The young hero panics and looks for his uncle, only to find that he is missing. Following Zelda's voice to Hyrule Castle, Link sneaks into the castle and sees his uncle dueling Aghanim. Aghanim deals a deadly strike to Link's uncle, saying that anyone who challenges him will meet their doom, and promptly vanishes afterward. Link rushes to his uncle's side and receives his sword and shield from him. Before passing out, doesn't say he dies, Link's uncle explains that after the young hero rescues Zelda and the people in the Dark World, he might be able to meet his parents. Meanwhile, Aghanim Aghanim orders the soldiers to bring Zelda to him before anyone else she has contacted telepathically is able to find and rescue her. Link continues to search for Zelda while she relates to him Aghanim's plan to use the life force of the descendants of the seven wise men to open the door to the Golden Land and unleash the evil power contained there. The young hero eventually finds the princess, and after distracting two castle soldiers that were taking her away, Link rescues Zelda, and the two escape through a hidden passage to the sanctuary with the use of a nearby lantern. Upon reaching the sanctuary, the old man explains the consequences of Aghanim's plan. Zelda goes on to say that she feels Link is the legendary hero who appears every 100 years to protect and save the land of Hyrule against Aghanim's forces. But just then, Aghanim appears and commands that Zelda return to the castle. Although Link steps in to protect the princess, the wizard easily defeats him when the young hero tries to attack him as he takes Zelda away. Zelda reveals to Link that, the only, that only the Master Sword can harm Aghanim. The young hero then rushes out of the sanctuary to find the legendary sword. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. right, so first thing I want to mention is that uh, Aghanim deals a deadly strike to Link's uncle, then he passes out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a very deadly strike, my guy. Well, I think might by not passing have been able out, to it say, should mean that he he died, but maybe not. They might not have been able to issue out like that he died, so they probably put like passing out. But they said it was a deadly blow. I don't know. They introduced the concept of death with that word. <laughs> they introduced death. As it was, it it was terminal, okay? Like, it, he wasn't going to die immediately. It just it was deadly. Like, he would die. They struck an organ. Minutes. Yeah. When Aghanim duels, he goes for the organs. Yeah, yeah this, is, this is interesting. It does, it does differ in a, quite a few ways. Like, Link doesn't get the uh, lantern until after he helps uh, Zelda because it just happens to be nearby where in the game you get it, like, in the uh, sewers before you even get into the... You get it from your house before you even leave the first Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, I, yeah, it's, it's funny to have his uncle fighting Aghanim, but then also, so he didn't die from sewer rats, I guess is what that's supposed to mean. It's kind of epic. I think, I think it's funny that Aghanim is like ordering the kind of urgency from the, from the soldiers because he knows that she can contact people telepathically. Like, I, I guess he knows that she's up to that. And he's like, well, before, before anyone that she's contacted telepathically gets here, we need to get her first. And it's just, mm-hmm. okay. 
It's, it's just an interesting detail to me. Um, another one is the hero who appears every 100 years. Right. <laughs> Excuse me? Every 100 years, a Zelda game takes place. <laughs> or a game that we have yet to see. All right. It's been exactly 100 years. Which one of you brats is the one? <laughs> All right. Which one of y'all is the Gerudo King and which one of y'all is the hero? <laughs> who do we got to help? We're who about, do we to, we fight? about to do some weeding. <laughs> Uh, and then also, I guess the Aghanim appears at the uh, sanctuary and commands Zelda to leave, and then Link attacks and he's defeated, kind of like what happens when Zelda's running away in Ocarina of Time, and Link right. tries to stop Ganondorf from chasing him on the uh, the horse, and he just kind of easily defeats him. That's what that reminded me of. Yeah, that definitely doesn't follow the game at all, because she's, she chills in that sanctuary for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is interesting stuff, though. Uh, I think we could probably read along with this while we play the game too, kind of moving forward because some of these chapters line up, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think. Are you guys uh, cool if I start on section two? Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's titled "The Wise Man's Warning." It says while Link continues to search for the Master Sword, Aghanim has wanted signs posted around the kingdom calling for Link's arrest for kidnapping Zelda. Before <gasps> leaving the sanctuary, the old man sends Link to find Sahasrala, a descendant of the wise men who knows more about the location of the Master Sword. Well, that, that checks out. Link finds Sahasrala's house in Kakariko Village in the care of his wife, but she tells him that Sahasrala left when he found out that Aghanim was responsible for the missing maidens and does not know where he has gone to. When Link tells her that he is looking for the Master Sword, the old woman tells of ancient scrolls that speak of the prosperous people who once inhabited the land of Hyrule. According to the scrolls, they made many powerful weapons, including the ultimate treasure, the Master Sword, crafted specifically to resist evil power, and which now rests in the Lost Woods. Upon leaving Sahasrila's house, a villager who is actually one of Aghanim's minions alerts the soldiers to Link's presence, but the young hero manages to escape their grasp and stumbles upon a boy who was asked by Sahasrila to watch over his wife. After being convinced of Link's good nature, the boy tells him where Sahasrila can be found, and so Link travels to the Eastern Palace. There he finds the descendant of the wise men, and although he is puzzled as to how someone so young like Link could be searching for the Master Sword, he tells Link he must recover the pendants of virtue to claim the legendary weapon. Sahasrila reveals that he can help Link by giving him the pendant of courage, but since the task of finding the remaining two pendants will not be an easy one, he asks whether he will be able to accomplish that task, to which the young hero confidently says yes, both for Zelda and his deceased uncle. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> just, just as Sahasrila hands the pendant of courage to Link, the soldiers pursuing Link find him. Empowered by the pendant, he easily dispatches their leader and sends the rest fleeing. The young hero, amazed at the power of the pendant, promises to find the remaining two pendants and use their power to defeat Aghanim. Uh, okay. So pendant a lot of that powers, bro. Some of that added cool detail to the game, and some of that just like omitted stuff from the game. Yeah. <laughs> So those soldiers that were just waiting outside of Sahasrila's wife's house that were like, hey, it's that guy, and went into a chase sequence until he found the kid. Yeah, that didn't happen in the game. Well, it's just funny, because it was like um, it was like one of the villagers, right, who was actually one of Aghanim's minions, which I think is a reference to the two... The two ladies? ...women who are outside, where if you get too close to them, they, they basically shout, oh, there's Link, and then a bunch of soldiers come out of the woodworks. Mm. Right? So uh, she's snooping around. Yeah, she's actually a minion. Darn her. It's like we have we have women that were turned into chickens and minions that were turned into women. 
it's kind of it's kind of interesting uh yeah and then they just there he doesn't actually have to go to the the eastern palace proper and do anything unless the the idea here is that he had to fight his way through the eastern palace to get to Sahasrila. Yeah. Uh, it really kind of feels like he just went into the yeah. room that Sahasrila like is in and Sahasrila like, just well, gave him the pendant. <laughs> no temple. Just Where you're even supposed to get the bow from then? He found it on, on the way there probably. Sahasrila's like I got this bow too, man. You want it? You want these Pegasus shoes too? <laughs> then he goes outside with the pendant. And just kills the leader of the soldiers. <laughs> like, well, this pen, this pendant's pretty powerful. I <laughs> just wrecked a military. Like, nah, that was on you, bro. That was on you. You did that. He is boosted by this courage. It's like wow. the pendant of courage is just placebo. That was all like murderous intent. All right, so into three then. Yeah, yeah. Third chapter. All right, chapter three, Book of Medora. The soldiers report that Link has the Pendant of Courage to Aghanim, who orders that all those in the Knight's line must be eliminated at once. He erroneously thought that Link's uncle, who defeated at the castle, who he defeated at the castle, was the last of the Knight's line, but he begins to suspect that Link is also of their bloodline and commands his soldiers to not return until he has been killed. After they leave, Aghanim reassures himself that the prophecy of the legendary hero is just a folktale, and that the world will be at his hands when the moon is full and he casts the final spell over Princess Zelda. When Link returns to Kakariko to find clues about the remaining two pendants, he finds the library has been set on fire by the soldiers. Link learns that the librarian, who Link must speak to according to Sahasrala, is trapped inside the flames. The young hero pours a bucket of water on himself and barges in to successfully save the librarian. Inside the House of Books, the librarian theorizes that the soldiers might have been after the Book of Medora, and explains that it is the key to the ancient Hylian language which mentions that the hero will stand in the desert holding the book. <laughs> Link, <laughs> Link takes the Book of Medora and mentions how Sahasrila had told him the Pendant of Power was in the desert ruins leading the librarian to claim Link as the legendary hero of Hyrule and calmly leaving the book in the young hero's hands. Before Link can head out to the desert, Sahasrila's wife warns Link that traveling through the desert will not be easy since the fierce winds and shifting sand have bested uh, even the most capable adventurers. Just then, the young boy who Sahasrila left in charge of his wife remembers that Sahasrila showed him a bird that Link can ride on, which is actually a sort of glider with the shape of wings woven by the Hylian sages. According to the librarian, the wings belong to the bird who the knights used to take on their campaigns to protect the kingdom and which carried them to battle. What? Mm. What? Interesting. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Those wings carried all the people into battle. Okay. Okay. Using the Miracle Wings, Link flies over the Desert of Mystery and locates the ruins of the Desert Palace. Using the Book of Medora to translate the runes he finds, the ruins begin to sink to reveal a scorpion statue that has the Pendant of Power hanging on it. Before Link can approach it, he sinks into the quicksand and resurfaces on top of Lanmola, of a Lanmola. Link tries to attack it with his sword, but to no avail. However, he manages to retrieve the Pendant of Power from the statue and prepares himself to defeat the Lanmola. Huh. Okay. Yeah, so we have... 
uh, what it looks to be Those sword wings, references here with birds that Link can ride on. Yeah, right? Now, Link riding on birds is a common thing. More common than you would think from playing a game like Ocarina of Time. Because you don't really do anything like that in that game, aside from maybe hang from a bird. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I know in The Legend of Zelda, the first game that, he, you know, fast traveling is done by bird. Uh, I know in this game later, we haven't gotten it to it yet, but there is also a bird featured travel system. Uh and obviously, we just covered Skyward Sword, where the Knights of Hyrule had birds carry them into battle. Like, that. okay. <laughs> um, yeah, really interesting take on it. I think we could also read Chapter 4, um, just not too far. Um, we can. Can I just say one more thing? Like, the glider from Breath of the Wild sounds exactly like this glider that is described oh yeah thing. made with the Hy- hylian sages like it's got the w- the shape of wings woven into it i mean the the glider itself wasn't in the shape of wings but it it was a sort of glider mm-hmm. that had a wing pattern on it you could say it was kind of like bat wings yeah and like the glider that or the sail that zelda made link and skyward sword wings woven by the hylian sages sort of glider yeah it's really interesting a couple links there yeah, and then he just doesn't even have to go into a desert, like a dungeon again. He just kind of falls into the ruins, finds the pendant immediately, uh, and now has to fight something. Yeah, Lanmola, the actual boss of the dungeons, like, oh, wait, oh, someone's taking the pendant. I gotta kill him. How dare you use the ancient tongue? That irks me. So, chapter four, the Master Sword. He has to defeat Lanmola. Using the Pendant of Power's energy, Link successfully defeats the Lanmola. However, he is left stranded in the desert due to the glider having been ruined, so his very short-lived glider uh, by a sandstorm. Left to traverse the desert on foot, Link is guided by Sahasrala's telepathy telepathy to Death Mountain. Link arrives to the mountain and stumbles upon a portal. No old man which activates itself and shows a vision of two people standing with his uncle. Believing oh, him to parents. be his parents, Link <laughs> reaches for his mother's hand, some really Harry oh, Potter man. stuff going on here, and when she extends hers out to the young hero, Link's hand turns into a claw when it passes the portal's boundary. Sahasrela warns that the power of the dark world turns the inhabitants into a reflection of their heart, and Link's hatred of Aghanim, although justifiable, would turn him into a beast if he were to enter. Shortly afterward, Zelda appears to Link and explains that they are in a dream. For if two people dream the same thing, they will meet. The princess tells Link to rest and encourages him to not give up while he begins to fall asleep on her lap. Complaining about his arm hurting, when Link wakes up, he finds that someone has bandaged his arm and is actually standing in front of the Tower of Hera. Convenient! Link enters the Tower of Hair and climbs to the top to battle a giant spider. Because, cool, right? Uh, Moldorm who? Seizing the Pendant of Wisdom from one of its eyes. Because it was in its eye, apparently. Upon grabbing the Pendant, his arm is instantly healed. Dun-da-da-dun, no more clawed. And the young hero uses the spider to ride down the tower. Epic. With all three (laughs) Pendants in hand. Link enters the lost... Eh, I'll stop it there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, so this <laughs> this is an adventure, huh? Okay. <laughs> so I didn't know Link like was trying to find his parents so so harshly in this story, right? It really seems like you know Hyrule's not that big in this game. Maybe I'm maybe I'm uh, diminishing the point by saying that, but you'd think that his uncle would know where his parents are. It yeah, just, it feels like. Unless they just don't it know feels anything like about kinda maybe lost to the golden land or something. Mm-hmm. Uh and this is um this is some stuff. So when I got the feeling of reading this and looking through the comic was I kind of felt if you know how movie adaptions always are different from the book or the game. I thought that if a link to the past was ever the Zelda game to get a movie adaption, which I know it's not because Ocarina of Time is most likely going to take that candle. If A Link to the Past was the game, this would be the movie adaption of that game, I feel. Yeah. The way it's written with no dungeons, just kind of like adventuring. You know, it's really weird too. It never really says when he goes into a dream. He's, like, summoned telepathically to Death Mountain. He arrives there, and that's when he sees the portal seeing his parents. Then he reaches his hand through it, turns into a claw. He remembers about the stuff, and then all of a sudden Zelda appears to him, and they're in a dream. So did he go through the portal, and the Dark World is being explained as a dream? Or when did he start dreaming? He's summoned to Death Mountain, and all of a sudden he's in a dream. That's the part that's confusing me. And he falls asleep in his own dream in Zelda's lab because they're both dreaming at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it seems like he found a portal on Death Mountain, started to pass the portal's boundary. Like, okay, so the portal activates, shows his parents. He reaches out to his parents, which means he breaches the portal's boundary. Uh, Suddenly, his hand becomes a claw. He remembers, oh, yeah, if I go in here, I turn into a beast. So I and guess he, hates he him, so. stops going in at that point and then probably passes out because his hand transformed into a claw, maybe. Yeah. Uh, if I had the actual comic, I could tell you what I what I was seeing, but I don't, I see don't remember. So, so they yeah, meet. I send you guys the link the dream. if you guys want to read it. It's the bottom link to the comic. It has every issue wow. if you want to read on your own time. But yeah, it it doesn't it really so explain. Something happens there, I guess. Yeah probably read through the ones that we have like for future episodes before we get into recording because i'm not i'm not gonna lie uh my my well of references and information from these first three episodes is just about run dry at this point like i don't these next few things we do i don't know if i'm gonna have a whole lot to share in terms of outside references anymore (laughs) so you know we'll see we'll see how it goes yeah been sitting this on cool, some though. of this stuff since season two. Well, I got something fun to share next time when we when we get to the next part, but we'll get there nice. when we get there. Good deal. All right, so this has been our episode of A for No, B for Yes. Thank you all for listening. Uh, if you want to reach out to the show, you can do that through our email at A for No, B for Yes at gmail.com or direct message us on any of our social medias, and we will be sure to mention you in the show. Uh, But yeah, I hope you all have a good couple of weeks and we'll catch you on the next episode. Did you get all that?
Do you believe that Link can win, can win against Saganim? Do that.